This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. Snow on the horizon, perhaps. Normally that would close down business and society and cause chaos, but a lot of businesses and indeed a lot of society is closed down at the moment anyway. But we're keeping going. And this morning on The Bottom Line, we'll talk to Carla woman Jo Brown about her eponymous brand and how COVID has seen her expand her range of products and how it's all going for her. Killian Doyle of Irish Fluid Controls will be joining us to tell us about how his company is uh, in the National Enterprise Award. And Pauline Hochter from Carlow Local Enterprise Office will also be joining us on that subject and more too. Accountant Alan Seary will be with us to talk about the plethora of wage subsidy schemes available employer and employee tax liabilities and at a time when we're all having to stay within five kilometres how the stay and spend scheme is going and how it's likely to unfold over the coming months. But first joining me on the phone is Samantha McCochran who's business editor of the Sunday Independent. Good morning Samantha. Good morning, John. How are you? Very well, thanks. Now, look, FBD was probably the biggest story we've had, and certainly in the last 24 hours, business-wise, anyway, a a really interesting business story in these COVID times. Yeah, a highly anticipated judgment finally came for um, four test case pubs, but it will actually have the potential to affect uh, 1,100 businesses who also had COVID, uh, certainly disease-type coverage in their uh, policies, but FBD had insisted that it wasn't uh, applicable to our current pandemic. So a number of publicans, I mean, the four pubs, um, particularly Sean Subban at Lone and four in Dublin, Sinnott, Leopard Town Inn and Le- Lemon and Duke, have been very vocal about the fact that as far as they were concerned, they were very much covered for business interruption under their policies when an, an absolutely unbelievable event like COVID came along and FPD had, uh, had said no, basically, and, and they had to go to the High Court um, to, to, to get it dealt with. The High Court said, yes, they needed, the, the, their, their policies still stood, and there was a great victory for the pubs, who uh, were quite angry yesterday that they had to spend 10 months of difficult uh, business performance, you know, no, effectively, no trade for, for most of them for, for, for 10 months, but they had to go to the High Court to fight it out. So that was good news for them, not so much for FBD, although I think it looked, the writing was on the wall for a while, you know, even looking at some of the, as a layperson, looking at some of the correspondence, they had a very good case to public because even uh, Noel Anderson, who uh, the managing managing director of Lemon and Duke Pub, even had a side letter which actually specifically said they were covered for COVID. So it did look like they had a strong case. And then in the UK, similar um, challenges were uh, th- th- fell on the side of publicans. So that was all going uh, in the in the right direction for the, for the business owners. Yeah, and huge exposure because given the length of time that many pubs have been closed for and if they have to re- recompense them for it, and presumably it'll spread from not just FBD but other insurers as well. Yeah, like it, there was an estimate yesterday that um, FBD could be on the hook for hundreds of millions of euros and I suppose they have in turn reinsurers who, who, who do their policies for them. So I think one of the suggestions is that the reason that they fought it so hard is that when they go to their reinsurers who basically cover them for all their policies, they'll be able to say, look, we did everything we could to make sure we 
explored every legal avenue we could to try and uh, ensure that we, we you know, we, we may not have had to pay it, but we've, we've tested every route and we obviously have to pay it. So it may give them a little bit of um, a little bit of cover on that front. But yeah, it's, it's a financial, a massive financial outpouring for, for, for the insurers. But I suppose at the end of the day, what would probably happen is um, policies may go up and uh, that's going to be bad news. And there has been a bugbear for the industry pub industry and hospitality industry in particular over the last few years but business in general it's one of the things that comes up time and time again is insurance costs as a, as a, a burden that they don't really uh, appreciate at all yeah and on the on the radar during the week is a, a pending um decision in relation to the size of insurance payouts i know it's in relation to um personal injuries but the whole issue of yeah. insurance is huge for business that's right yeah um there's some reports about it today in the Irish Times saying that, you know, some um, of the smaller claims that the Book of Quantum may go down for them, which I suppose would be good news. And then some of the bigger, massive kind of injuries, I suppose, would be slightly increased, mm-hmm. but like smaller breakages and things like that might go down. So, look, there may be some good news there, but um, certainly good news for, for the publicans who really felt that they were on the wrong side of this decision for some time. Yeah, and I, I was kind of surprised, but um, FBD just kind of said, OK, that's fine, we'll start making interim payments pretty much immediately. No suggestion of an appeal to the Supreme Court from them or anything. They're just kind of folding up their tent and they're going to pay out. Yeah, they, they they definitely were quite quick to say that they would move on it, and they seemed they said that it was within their kind of range of expectations. So they they would would sort of just bite the bullet on it. Um, they obviously have put aside some some funds in the expectation that it may go this way. Um, and it's like for a long time it did look like that was the way it was going to fall, but obviously they they felt that they needed to have it, you know, kind of crashed out in court and uh, there's no um, there, there seems to be no going back on it now and, and, and I'm sure it'll be a welcome uh, check that's coming for a lot of businesses at the moment Yeah, now another um, interesting week on on the stock markets and particularly in relation to GameStop GameStop show, uh, shops of course having to be closed because they're not deemed essential businesses but they've been all over the business pages the last couple of weeks yeah, it's been a kind of a wild stock market story. It's like a bit, I think they're already working on a movie about it. But basically, um, uh, Reddit, you know, which is a social media discussion forum, um, it, 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 it fueled this frenzy the week before last for GameStop and a few other kind of unloved stocks. But basically, a small, relatively small group of retail investors, ordinary people who like trade online. Uh, got this whole frenzy going about GameStop and they were trying to kind of outwit the hedge funds, the big, huge, big financial groups of bets on the markets and they, um, the hedge funds had bet against GameStop. So they basically thought GameStop shares were going to fall. The This whole Reddit crowd came in and just, you know, bought, bought, bought the shares, which saw them go from like 20 euro, or $20 to nearly $500 in a very short space of time. It's, kind of like unbelievable change in uh, share price especially for a company like GameStop which is you know a traditional business at the end of the day um, like a lot of traditional retailers has a lot of challenges everything is done online and you know it, it, some some of the Reddit uh, you know guys who are really into the shares and stocks do think that, um, that, that, that GameStop is on the way up but it was really just a frenzy for you know to try and get 
a slice of this action and that sort of fell away last week and the shares fell 90% and um, obviously some people made a lot of money but there's uh, if, if you know loads of articles um, and, and podcasts and chats about it all over the uh, financial media about loads of people losing money and they're small investors so they're people who maybe it was their savings or you know there's even some kids or like you know they're supposed to be over 18 um, there's these Robin Hood is the main kind of uh, way of trading. It's a really cheap way to get into trading versus like a stockbroker, which would be a high bar to get into. But, you know, young people like, you know, know. a few hundred euro, their rent kind of thing. Well, I, I, I believe that Revolut have some sort of a stock trading thing now that they like do. people with Revolut cards can actually start buying stocks. I've heard of young people like buying stocks on the Revolut yeah, well, cards. Well, that's true. Like I know um, colleagues of mine were showing me, because I'm not, I'm not a... As, as as into the fintech uh, banks, as uh, some of my colleagues are, but they were showing me like their phone, and you can just like have you know just literally buy really quite easily once you give a bit of your personal details. Your phone, you know, I'm, yeah, exactly, yeah. So quite easy to do, and um, but like one of the things and one of the reasons why this has happened is because people are a bit bored. A lot of people are missing, um, you know, just the usual, the horses, the, sp- the general sport that's on for, for, for betting. There just hasn't been a, a, a gap there in yeah. kind of uh, leisure betting. And so people who are really kind of into that area have been turning to the markets. And it is a subcategory of, of the whole betting market. Yeah. And so, like, it is kind of a pastime. And I know people then kind of enjoy watching how their shares do. So it's sort of a distraction for people at a time when, like, normal life is far from normal, you know? Yeah, but one thing that'll always be with us is the provocative man that is uh, Michael O'Leary. And during the week, he was a uh, vintage Michael O'Leary, but maybe even uh, verging on, on over the top at times. Yeah, well, a couple of years ago, O'Reilly decided to go a bit more uh, touchy-feely and be a bit more, you know, nicer to customers. They kind of made a point about that. Michael O'Leary um, was, you know, sort of changed his tone a bit, but he was back in full um, old-school Michael O'Leary mode uh, early this week. The company reported that it's about, it's, it expects to lose close to a billion euros um, over 12 months, which is a massive amount of money, but... Funnily enough, nobody was talking about that. Everyone was talking about his attitude and his way of dealing with the uh, pandemic. And it is a massive crisis for airlines, but he was basically talking about, um, you know, the vaccination program, hitting out at, um, you know, Tony Holhan, hitting out at Emphis, hitting out at um, uh, uh, lockdown, saying that they were basically ineffective. And... um, so a very, a very confrontational attitude at a time when, you know, the messages stay at home, don't really expect it to get out anytime soon. Um, they, they did get a rap on the knuckles, though, in Britain during the week. Um, they had an ad campaign over there, Jab and Go, uh, had footage of uh, an ad, TV ad, had footage of, you know, young people, 20s and 30s, having a great time on their holidays. Um the, it was the third most complained about ad ever in the UK. Wow. Uh, yeah, I got two two thousand three hundred odd uh, complaints. So people didn't feel it struck the right note. Um, the advertising standards authority agreed and basically said, you know, advertisers should not be linking um, decisions to spend money with the vaccine because it's just too much uncertainty. Look, we've been just through another week or two of total uncertainty about vaccines so that's a very fair point um so they basically said it was misleading and kind of given that people would have this assurance that you know hey jab and go you can go on your holidays in the summer yeah. now even the, the company obviously didn't agree with that and michael leary was very adamant um 
you know, on, on various radio interviews on earlier in the week that, look, it's, uh, this affects over 65. This is his claim. Um, young people are not as affected and they'll be getting their vaccines and there's no reason for people not to get back to normal. But look, we, the message, as you know, is very cautious. It's not like vaccines are here and everything will be fine. There's new variants. Um, none of us are public health experts and certainly not Michael O'Leary. So anyway, it made for quite... Um, yeah, caution isn't a word that really uh, yeah. leaps to mind when you think of Michael O'Leary. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of you notice, like a lot of the lobby groups who were very vocal last year about reopening business are actually very quiet at the moment, and they really have accepted it, despite the fact that it's absolutely murderous for their their business. Like they, there isn't an appetite for the reopening at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe there will be in a few weeks when things are lower again but um, you know there hasn't been that kind of voice out there because there's been an acceptance look things, things are very very bad yeah Samantha thanks very much unfortunately that's all we've got time uh, for thanks uh, for joining us uh, I'd love to have chatted to you about Amazon because a lot going on there too but maybe next, next time. time yeah absolutely yeah. thanks a million Samantha that's uh, Samantha McCochran uh, business editor with the Sunday Independent joining me on the line is uh, Alan Siri of Accountants O'Neill Foley good morning Alan Morning, John. How are you? Very well. Now, uh, I was talking to Samantha about a range of issues. How are you finding the general business mood out there across sectors? Some obviously really badly hit, um, but like business going on for others. Business going on for others, John, correct. I mean, certainly um, the second half of last year, uh, businesses, a lot of businesses rallied, um, and uh, uh, we can even see that at a macro, at a, that at a macro level where things like house completions um, were only marginally lower, say, last year than they were in 2019. Um, so our our experience was that certainly towards tail end last year, a lot of business, you know, got got, got back. Um, maybe some of their losses made, made some made some money. Um, obviously, the start this year has been a sort of a burst balloon type effect where, um, you know, a lot of businesses are hunkering down. And as Samantha alluded to earlier, um, there's less of a, there's less of a um, a cry for business to uh, reopen. I think most people now are sort of resigned to waiting for uh, winter to end. And um, I think business kind of accepts that we vaccinated. yeah we need to give it a good whack on the head uh, and and kind of get down as close to uh, to uh, manageable levels of close to zero and then keep it there. I think so, yeah. And like we, we do have the, the positive news of vaccines being rolled out and it's probably a bit like the PP last year when it was very slow to roll out but then all of a sudden there was a you know, sufficient number of, of uh, PP out there so hopefully that will come true for the vaccines as well and we get the rollout very quickly uh, rolled out. Yeah, because really um, in the overall scheme of things it's been phenomenal from a business point of view. Like we were always talking about pivoting but how these vaccine companies just left, leapt onto COVID and like we're less than, t- well we're 12 months in from this part of the world but like it's it's amazing how quickly uh, a vaccine was developed and a great business story it is yeah i mean like it's it's testament to i suppose the, the geniuses that are in these um, pharmaceutical companies that are able to you know uh, make these uh, things work um, and have them tested and tested safely and have them rolled out so uh, obviously there's going to be some logistical problems you know uh, getting them out either from, from the manufacturing side or from the distribution side in Ireland's case I think the numbers are very impressive in that uh, you know we're, we're getting the vaccines that we get in uh, into people very quickly mm. um, and we're you know in the, in the EU we're one of the best performance in that regard 
Yeah, so glass half full very much. Alan, um, I want to talk to you about the whole range of stuff. I mentioned a plethora uh, of schemes and supports and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and there was a new one uh, introduced recently. Can you give us some uh, background on that and explain the temporary wage subsidy uh, scheme? Yeah, so the, the, the temporary wage subsidy scheme, John, has come up in the news again there recently. And the reason why it has is because... Um, uh, when it was introduced last year, it was introduced sort of uh, through, through employers, directly to employees. So what revenue when the government did to get money out quickly, they used employers as a conduit to get uh, payments to employees um, uh, quickly. And uh, so employers, when, when they got the money from governments, they paid it over to their employees and they didn't have to operate tax on that. But it was said at the time that, you know, there will be tax on those payments. So the reason why it's come in the news now um, is that revenue have started issuing uh, uh, statements and so on to employees uh, for the tax on those payments. Yeah, and, and like, uh, how do people find out if they're impacted and what kind of numbers are we talking about? Is, there, is most people, a few people, medium? Give me some kind of sense of how many are impacted because the employer doesn't necessarily know. Correct. Yeah. Well, it, it was. It's, it's an employee liability in the first instance. So, empl- employees, if you're if you're one of those affected, uh, you can check your my account on Revenue's website, and you'll see a statement of account for 2020. Um, interestingly, John, they have, they have actually issued some numbers on this. So, um, there's about 660,000 people who employees who um, uh, were uh, put on the temporary wage subsidy scheme. Um, 47% of that number uh, won't have any liability or are due a refund. Um, about 23% owe um, less than €500, Euro, and another 15% owe less than uh, €1,000, but over 500 And there's a remaining cohort there, and 15%, roughly 100,000 people, that will owe, owe over €1,000. Yeah, well, in these um, difficult times, no matter what, um, it's not nice to get a bill from like that from, from the revenue. What are the options regarding paying for? So the options are um, they can pay the liability now or what most people, the default option will be that um, uh, it will be built into your tax credits from next year, from 2022 onwards, over a four-year period. So essentially, if you have... Um, say, a liability of, of €1,000, that'll be paid over a four-year period from next year. Um, so that's, 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 uh, that shouldn't impact people too much, you know, and hopefully by then they'll have their job back yeah. as well or they'll, they'll be in a better financial circumstance. And I suppose to put it all into context, this was introduced very quickly in, in March or April. I can't remember exactly which, but, I mean, the alternative for many employers were, were really swinging pay cuts or else laying people off, as far as I can recall it. That's that's right, John. Yeah. So, like, really, the the, the rationale for uh, introducing was twofold. One was to, it was to get money out to uh, employees quickly, rather than everybody going on the the pandemic unemployment payment through the social welfare office. And secondly, as well, was to maintain that connection between employers and employees. That employees sort of felt that they were still part of the team um, and getting paid by their employer, um, and that that you know the employer would know this, and that when things got back to normal or some semblance of normality that their staff will be coming back as well so it was to remain, maintain the connection between the employees and their employer Yeah, um, what should employees do now at this stage? Do they have to actually do anything? Do they have to indicate online whether they wish to pay it over four years or can they pay it immediately or is there a benefit to employees even of pay- paying it immediately? 
Um, if some employees might want to pay it immediately because, like, say, for example, down the line, they might be looking at maybe doing a, getting a mortgage and they want to have the cash flow then to pay the mortgage rather than having sort of a, um, a triple tax going back to revenue. Uh, and some people like having sort of not like like being in a position of not owing money. Yeah, um, yeah. The default option revenue you're saying is that it'll be it'll be built into your tax credits if you owe um, uh, you know a relatively small amount of money, which which will be the case for most people. Um, there is actually an interesting facility there, John, which which allows employers to pay the liability for employees in most cases. Right. Um, and that might be of, of interest to some employers that are able to do that. Yeah, because uh, normally that would be counted as benefiting kind, presumably. Correct, but in this circumstance, if, if the employer pays the tax due by the employee on the wage subsidy scheme, um, and they do that before the end of June, um, they don't have to pay all of it, but they make contribution towards it. There's no BIK uh, uh, for for that, so that's, that's quite tax efficient for both the employer and the employee to do. Now the employer won't get a tax reduction for the payment, um, you know. But for most companies, you know, they probably have a loss this year anyway. Yeah. Um, or if they're paying twelve and a half percent tax, it's not it's not that much of a hit. So, um, so that that's something else that that uh, you know employers and employees m- might want to do. Um, okay, uh, Alan, when the temporary wage subsidy scheme was brought in there were talk of revenue doing checks publication of companies that have um uh, that are participating in it and all that kind of stuff uh, what's the status of that have revenue been working their way through the list are lists appearing they have john yeah so there's there's um, a particular division of revenue that looks after most employers and um, so they look after 55,000 or 65,000 employers um uh, who claimed a temporary wage subsidy scheme so of that, they've done about 89% of 55,000, and they're saying there's about 900 cases uh, which have been what they call escalated for further query. So that so most in most cases, they've found uh, employers operate the scheme correctly. Yeah, yeah. And, and do employers necessarily know that the revenue is running the rule over them at that time? Do they get a letter from revenue, or is the revenue are in touch, or are they just kind of doing this in the background? No, they would have written to um, they would have written to the employer and asked them. There's a standard letter that went out to most employers, and they asked them a series of questions. So um, uh, and looked for evidence that the thing was being operated correctly. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I, I mentioned at the top of the program, Alan, stay and spend, um, and you know, incentives for us all to get out and spend. And there was all sorts of incentives. Just remind us of what those were, because it just sounds like a bygone age of dining in restaurants and going away for weekends and all that, but. But that's going to come back, and the revenue want to make sure that people roar out of their houses and start spending. That's correct, John. Yeah. So to recap on what the credit is, if you spend twenty five euro or more, or twenty five euro or more on, say, a meal in a restaurant or in accommodation, um, you can get twenty percent of the bill back from revenue by uploading your receipts onto their website. Hmm. Um, it's quite a straightforward. Uh, it's quite a straightforward process. So. Um, there's there's a maximum benefit of 125 euro a year, but it's still 125 euro is, is uh, not to be not to be sneezed at. So there's been quite a low uptake on us. There's only been maybe credits to the value of two and a half thousand euro of a spend uh, claimed in the um, whole country. Two and a half thousand. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So two sorry two and a half million. Oh, uh, right. uh, two and a half. Beg your pardon. Yeah. Two and a half million um, uh, uh, claimed. Um, so. Um, uh, so the scheme is scheduled to be uh, open until the end of April. Now my guess is that that you know with with waitings are it probably will be extended yeah. into June. But like it is something to for people to bear in mind that when they, when they do when we all are able to go back out again, whatever that there is a there is a subsidy for doing that. Uh, now tell me this, Alan. Now this is probably 
blatantly obvious that it wouldn't work. But do, does it count for takeaways? Like you're talking about restaurants and dining out and all that sort of stuff. People are actually buying takeaways from bona fide restaurants that wouldn't normally be considered takeaways. Is that eligible? I mean, you have to spend €25 Euro on a restaurant meal, John. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah, so... Okay. Um, Alan, just uh, thank you for your update on all that. Very interesting it is. Just on the overall uh, um, thing, I was talking there to um, Samantha earlier on about GameStop and she was saying, you know, how easy it is for people to invest now that, you know, people, even teenagers apparently can, you know, using their Revolut cards, uh, be piling into stocks, you know, and we have this GameStop stop and all that. Or, you know... As an accountant and as, uh, you know, business advisors that handle people's money, what's it make you think when you hear of people kind of just casually passing the time by investing in shares? Well, there was a very good article in this morning's uh, Financial Times and there was a guy uh, with a quote in it there which probably really explains it well. So uh, he said, once we want to believe uh, something will make us rich quick, we are very good at filtering out rational information that discounts that. So essentially what he's saying is that we'd be close to rational argument. And what happened, you know, over the last two weeks with GameStop was that um, some very influential people uh, sort of talked up uh, GameStop. And a lot of people that uh, were retail, well, you know, the, the Express News is retail investors mm. uh, piled in. Some did very well, but a lot of people actually lost quite a significant amount of money. Yes, um, Matt was saying you know, that. Yeah, so like the the, the two... The two things to think about when you're investing money is be absolutely unemotional about it and don't be afraid to take your profits, you know. So, like, um, uh, one of the stories I learned when I was in college, you know, about um, uh, somebody who was asked, how did he make his money? And his, his, his reply was, I sold too early. You yeah. know, so don't be hanging on for the last. Don't be hanging on for the last. Uh, the last book, whatever. So, um, but really, like it, it, it did bring home to me that um, uh, you know, if people are interested in in sort of investing in stocks and shares, and you know, with, with interest rates currently on the floor or, or you know about to go possibly negative, um, uh, you know, more and more people are looking for a different home for the money. Um, but it it is it does pay to sort of maybe take advice on something maybe it does cost money or to you know to use it in, in a sort of a pension environment whereby you're getting getting a tax deduction for your contribution so the tax man is sort of taking some of the risk as well yeah, yeah. Um, and also as well the gains that you make are tax free as well so um, uh, like if people are interested in that you know uh, kind of getting into stocks and shares it, it's, it's good but maybe a better way to do that would be uh, through kind talk of a pension type environment and lo- looking at a more long term talk, pr- talk to the professionals correct Absolutely. Well, Alan, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again. That's Alan Siri from Accountants O'Neill Foley. Good morning, Alan. Thanks, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie The heart of two counties. Yeah, looking forward to hearing that. giveaway that we're doing with Harry Baby. Fantastic uh, Irish company and really witty and they will put a smile on your dial as they say. Do check them out online but do tune in to John Walsh all next week. Uh, that's going to be really good fun. Now we always get a really good reaction when we have positive uh, people on the programme and a great reaction last week to Biddy's Good Luck Horseshoes and do check that out if you're looking for some good luck. Um, but before Christmas I had the real pleasure of interviewing Joe Brown uh, 
uh, at Carlo Chamber event and Joe who we had last year on our talking shop feature is always full of ideas and positivity so I thought it'd be good to invite Joe on again so she could give us an update on how uh, her business is getting on. Good morning Joe. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Very well, thanks very much. Now, just talk to us pre-COVID. You were doing um, perfume and doing really rather well, opening up international markets in South Korea and all these kind of interesting places. <laughs> and then COVID came yeah. along. Yeah, so COVID came along. So we continued, with, obviously, with all our skincare and body care. And I suppose no business plan, no SWOT analyst. Um, a threat of a virus is never, which you never think about. Yeah. Um, so we had to think very quickly. We had to kind of think outside the box when COVID hit. So um, I think there was a shortage of hand sanitizer. So I literally hopped on the bag wagon straight away and we launched our fresh hands. Um, so we did it a little bit different. We added kind of aloe vera, pro vitamin B5 and all that. But really the whole key was that we were drawing more people, I suppose, to our website yeah. And once we were drawing more people, we were, we were giving them samples, say, of our face balm, etc. Um, yeah, and so of course, I'm, Joe Brown, you you're, you started off with solid perfume and skincare yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And so the scent and the, the, the aroma, very important. And often sand sanitizer, to put it mildly, can be a bit sort of antiseptic because that's what oh, it's meant ab- to be. Absolutely. Um, well, we added eucalyptus and we added peppermint because we still wanted to be something really nice. And we didn't want it to be something drying. Um, so I believe every situation there's an opportunity. You just have to literally just go out and see what's needed in the market. Mm. Um, but when the so when I, the waves are breaking over you and you're in the middle of a pandemic, how do you kind of clear the headspace for looking for the opportunity? Because you have to be in a certain kind of frame of mind, don't you? Yeah, um, well, I always look for the opportunity. I suppose the opportunity came then when our website was so, so busy we launched two more products. This was about, I suppose, keeping your customers interested and listening to their needs. Um, I never wanted to make hand sanitizer, believe me, I didn't, but that's <laughs> what the market thats what the market was looking for. So there was an opportunity there. Yeah. Um, but you know. from hand sanitizer, Joe, to bamboo <laughs> bedding, um, yes. tell me about that. Now, bamboo bedding sounds to me like something you'd have in a prison camp or something <laughs> like that. No so we, Yeah, no, that's okay. We launched our bamboo pillowcases two years ago. So bamboo is ultra soft, super, super soft. It kind of feels like silk, but it's not silk. It's a vegan silk. Wow. Um, so it's breathable. Um, bamboo doesn't hold bacteria. That's the key to bamboo. And it keeps you cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. So there's such a high demand for the pillowcases. Um, I took the plunge. So in 2020, we actually launched four products. So I took the plunge, cleared out the bank account, as you would, and um, launched the bamboo bedding. Major success. It was on Ireland AM yesterday morning. Yeah. And we have um, stockers like Foxford, Meadows and Burn, um, Blarney. Um, and what do you think people shop? are responding to about that product? Like, um, we are in the middle of a pandemic. People want a better night's sleep, spoiling themselves with a pillow. What is it? Because I've heard I people talking so. about it. Yeah, I think so. Like, we're doing really, really well. And I suppose I'm surprised it's doing so well because people can't touch the material. Yeah. Um, so I do say buy the pillowcases, at least you'll get the feeling of it. Definitely it's more self-care. 
Yeah. People are definitely doing more self-care. Yeah, like um, normally you'd be kind of going to trade shows and stuff like that. Oh, um, how are you compensating for all that? Um, I suppose spending more money on photography. We're launching a new website next week, so that's very exciting. Um, I suppose I'm spending more money on things I didn't spend before. Mm. Um, you know, photography, maybe up into social media, the sponsor ads. Um, you're still... Because generating still interest and in getting the word out... People often kind of think as marketing and, you know, spreading the word as kind of like the icing on the cake and a bit of a luxury, but it's central to a brand like yours. You just have to get the word out because you're competing with, like, huge global brands. Oh, absolutely, I am. Um, but then, like, I'm not shy about picking up the phone or sending a message on Instagram and say, look, I'd love to send you a wholesale price list. Yeah. Um, yeah and you know, how, are pe- how do people um, respond to that kind of direct approach? Because many people who have great ideas, they can find themselves a bit shy. Yeah, I, it doesn't matter what the company is, I will get the buyer somewhere along the line. And I will send them an email, um, you know, and I'll work on getting that. Like, I've a certain a couple of more shops picked out that I want to be in. Um, yeah, and and I know, think when we spoke at Christmas um, at that Carlo Chamber event, which I think was the Zoom Christmas lunch that they had, and Keith yeah. um, Keith uh, from Waterford, uh, Keith Barry was uh, performing some amazing um, uh, things. I call him Keith Duffy on the call. I nearly did it there <laughs> uh, there again, getting confused with the old boys on um, guy. But like you had stories of of like when you started out actually dropping samples. I think into the pocket of different um of buyers and all that tell us about that again yeah so i mean it all happened after six months but the first four months i was every day i sent emails to people like every single day i cold called i did everything but nobody wanted to take joe brown on because nobody had heard of joe brown Mm. um it was only i suppose when i went to showcase um and i won the overall gift cashier again and clickenny took me on but it wasn't easy. I, I cold called. I had rejections. I, you know, um, but you just have to move on there. I suppose it's getting the one big stockers and the one good stockers and that'll open the brand for you. Yeah. Um, so you know, how are you I, feeling we, about the future uh, now, Joe? I think it's fair to say that people kind of assumed that we'd be further along the road to recovery yeah. uh, in 2021 yeah. than we actually are. So more challenges down the road. How are you facing into the year? Well, I'm facing into the year with a daughter doing the leaving cert. Which you don't know, know what, what way that's going to go. Happening. I have a son doing the transition year and he's gave up altogether. And I'm disappointed for him. It's not the academic, it's the social skills. Yeah. I suppose he. I was looking forward to him having a year of trips and doing stuff. And then I have a seven-year-old, so I'm quite busy. Yeah. And she doesn't care whether she ever goes back to school or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she's happy enough at home. For the business, uh, we're, we're pushing the bedding, pushing, pushing the bedding. We're launching the fitted sheets and the flat sheets separate in May. So we've just put the big order in. Um, I will launch another skincare product. Um, I'm looking very positive. I actually just designed my Christmas box yesterday. Oh, for so God's sake, Joe, give us a break. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We, are just, we have launched a Valentine's Day. But that's Day the box, reality, so isn't it? That's reality. Now it is the reality. I tell you why. Because before you could maybe launch a Christmas box three, minute, three months before Christmas, but with the shortage of cardboard and the shortage of containers, yeah, um, that's a huge problem. That's going to be a massive problem now in six months' time. 
Um, yeah, hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, yeah you with, have sourcing, to... with sourcing products, you really have to be ahead this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, Joe, pleasure talking yeah. to you. And, and like, look, Thank we'll you, check John. in with you. Pleasure, yeah, because, look, it's all about highlighting positivity. And uh, it's good you. to hear, you know, you're juggling your business with the normal family stuff that we all face. Um, and yeah, so absolutely. you can balance the two, though. It's not easy. No, it's not easy, but you know what? You, you just keep going. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, keep yeah. going and stay safe. Thanks very much, Joe. All right. um, Thank you, John. Yeah, good morning. That's Joe Brown. Um, and you can check out her website at joebrown.com. Uh, We're going to talk now about uh, the National Enterprise Awards. Um, and last week, uh, we. Um, we spoke on the programme to Tom Enright of Lonet, who were the Kilkenny finalists at the National Enterprise Awards, and we also spoke to Catherine Hennessy. And there's only five days to go until the awards take place virtually, and uh, they're taking place on Thursday, the 11th of February, uh, live from the Round Room in the Mansion House, uh, and uh, that will be a great uh, event, hopefully. And joining me on the line to talk about that is Killian Doyle uh, from. Irish Fluid Controls. Good morning, Killian. Uh, good morning, John. Yeah, you're featured uh, in this. Uh, tell us a bit about your company. Uh, you're from. You're based in Carlow and uh, on the road maybe six, seven years. Tell us more about Irish Fluid Controls. Yeah, thank you, John. Um, Irish Fluid Controls, we're a Carlow-based company. We were founded back in 2014 and we are a specialised engineering company that designs and builds chemical dosing equipment for mainly for the pharma and food and beverage industries. So essentially, if any factory that needs to add chemicals into their process or treat their process water, we design, assemble and test all the equipment into pre-built skids or complete plant rooms in our Carlo uh, base, in our Carlo manufacturing base. And then these are shipped to site and installed throughout Ireland and the UK. Yeah, and a very specialised engineering in Carlo, of course, a great tradition of uh, of engineering. And during COVID, presumably, you know, all these food companies, all these pharma companies and chemical companies, they're keeping the show on the road. So you've got to keep supplying them with that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, as for all businesses, um, uh, they've experienced uh, it's It's certainly been a tougher market out there. Um, it's made us focus on our remote uh, platform so and that kind of technology. So we now bring uh, that technology to the front of our offering. So it means that we can now install remote monitoring equipment in all our plant rooms, and this allows us to monitor equipment from our offices in Carlow and then reduce the need for us to uh, on our staff to attend the sites as much. And pre-COVID, so that was probably a long way down your to-do list, really. That's it, exactly, John. Yeah, it was, it was well down to do this. It's really brought it forward. Yeah, and it's probably that's probably a silver lining of the COVID cloud for you guys. Yeah, it has. It's really allowed us to continue our growth through through the toughest of times that there is now. Yeah, Pauline, uh, Pauline Hochter, who's Assistant Head of Economic Development and em- Enterprise at Carla Local Enterprise Office, joins me on the line also. Pauline, good morning. A great example of a good progressive Carla company going so well, you know, relatively short after starting up, uh, that they're in the final of the National Enterprise Awards. Absolutely, John. Good morning, and good morning to Killian. Um, thanks for having us on the show this morning. Yes, um Killian and the team at Irish Food Controls are a great example of, of a business that has really focused in on, on their market and the needs of that market. And they've um, 
I suppose, pivoted uh, be- long before COVID in terms of, of the delivery of the product, um, that they, to the delivery of, of, of the product that they serve and, and, and into the, the industries that they serve. I suppose the whole focus of the National Enterprise Awards is it's about celebrating the very best in small local companies um, who are leading in their field of business expertise. Um, the awards are in existence now for about 20 years. And really, there's a benchmark for excellence in micro-enterprises across the country. So we believe that Irish Flu Controls will represent Carlo very gallantly at the awards this coming Thursday evening. Yeah. And usually the awards is held, um, are held at the, up in the Mansion House. But unfortunately, obviously, due to COVID restrictions, that's not possible. So there's a virtual event that uh, if you go onto the localenterprise.ie website, There'll be a link there on the night to, to pop in and have a look and see who the overall winners will be. And anyone can log on, which is which is another bit of a silver lining because previously it probably wasn't broadcast live online so people can get a, a, an award ceremony is very useful for inspiring the other people with uh, what can be done too. Absolutely, John. I suppose, as we all know, it's been a very challenging year for all types of businesses, big and small. So just it's just a chance to highlight the positive stories and businesses who have excelled in the face of unprecedented challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's something as as you've alluded to in, in what you spoke to about Killian about how they've adapted in terms of the monitoring equipment, etc. Yeah, yeah. And within their businesses, and there's loads of examples you had Joe on earlier, um, in terms of how she's had to adapt and pivot her business um, to keep it growing and keep it um, keep it solid through these difficult times. Yeah, absolutely. Stay with us on the line. I'm talking to Pauline Hochter, who's Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise at Carlaw Leo, and also Killian Doyle, who's Managing Director of Irish Fluid Controls. It's just uh, coming up to nine minutes to ten o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Case Lord John Purcell with you just until ten o'clock, and then Edward Hayden joins us. Uh, don't go away. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk more business. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. You're welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. Now we talked uh, about Wolf Walkers uh, and to the technical director of the movie a couple of weeks or before Christmas on the show. Good to see that they, a Kilkenny-based company, uh, the company that made Wolf Walkers, of course, Cartoon Saloon, have picked up a Golden Globe nomination and also on the long list for the Oscars. That's really good. And also check out Falch Ireland because they've announced uh, details of a new 55 million business continuity scheme for the tourism sector. Uh, and they had an event recently called Survive and Thrive so do check out FaultureIreland.ie We're talking about the National Enterprise Awards and on the line is Killian Doyle Managing Director of Irish Fluid Controls who have been uh, shortlisted or who are up for a national award uh, at an event later this or sorry next week and also on the line is Pauline Hochter Assistant Head of Economic Development and Enterprise at Carlo Leo um, uh, Killian previously a lot of the sort of stuff that you do would have been made abroad presumably so you're kind of doing import substitution yes definitely yeah um uh, uh, up to this point, uh, most of this, 90% of this was made abroad, made in the UK and made across uh, Central Europe. So we've filled a nice gap now and we, it seems to be adding strength to our business now. Even with Brexit, um, the companies seem to want to stay within the market and stay local, 
when it comes to if they can get this technology locally. Yeah, and you're looking ahead, and I think as part of the shortlisting process, you were kind of grilled about your business expansion plans, and so you're you're looking at expanding the whole time. Tell us a bit about your plans. Yeah, so we're currently uh, we're in the beginning of phase two of our business that includes a five-year expansion plan. So we hope over the next five years um, to build a purpose-built manufacturing assembly plant here in Carlow, and that should increase our local workforce in the area up to more than 20 as we continue to grow. Yeah. Now, Pauline, um, Killian mentioned there about Brexit, but um, it, it, in many ways, you know, it's gone off the radar in a major way. We have all these squabbles, but the impacts on business um quite significant. You were telling me about one um, local company whose UK supplier is just gone after 15 years. Yeah, certainly Brexit is bringing its challenges. Um, I won't lie in terms of there's probably less queries on it than I thought there would be, John, which in one way, I suppose, um, I, I would think it reflects kind of the mood of the nation at the moment and, and where we're at in terms of, of, of business and, and, and people's ability to trade, etc. at the moment. But yes, there's one local business I was talking to recently who their UK supplier is not supplying into the into the Irish market anymore and they've had to go and source from mainland Europe now and that's also brought us challenges in terms of transportation, in terms of how the product is delivered and I suppose the other side of the coin is that uh, so their customers are used to receiving this product in a, in a certain manner and now it's going to be received in a different manner and how you market and communicate that message. So it's not just on the trade or the transport side of things, it's on you know the impact on the end user and ultimately on the consumer who you need to retain and provide a continue to provide good quality service to. So yes, Brexit is has been and is currently a challenge and it's going to be a challenge, you know, I would imagine mm. until until things, um, you know, settle and, and people have the oppor- opportunity and ability to adapt. Presumably um, um, people, you know, you talk about queries, presumably you're not hearing too many people want to start businesses in this challenging environment. Um, interestingly enough, we'd ha- we've had a lot of queries in that space since, we, since the office reopened on the 4th of January. So and people so willing to roll up their sleeves and yeah, get stuck in? Absolutely, John. So I think people now possibly have time to assess, you know, where they're at from a career perspective. People who may have had um, ideas floating around, um, you know, in their head and they want to explore them. And now that they possibly have the opportunity to do so, they're using that time productively. Yeah, great. So, uh, Killian, yeah. Um, you're, you're a man who actually took the plunge. Uh, you worked previously, I think, as a mechanical engineer uh, with a number of different um, companies. You took the plunge, started your own business. What does this national shortlist nomination mean to you? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's great benefit to us. Um, it's, it's kind of a confirmation of all the hard work that we've done over the last uh, five, six years. Um, and it's nice to be recognised and seeing that after taking the plunge and moving from a very steady job into this, that uh, all the hard work can be recognised. Well, that's great, Killian. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Uh, that was Killian Doyle from Irish Fluid Controls up for an award next Thursday evening. You can watch it online and also Pauline Hochter. And uh, David Walsh has been uh, given an Outstanding Achievement Award in the same uh in the same awards ceremony and that's coming up and we look forward to hopefully talking to David thanks uh, to Killian and thanks to you Pauline thank you uh, and good morning have a good day and Killian best of luck
Thank you very much. Okay, good morning. Thank you. That was uh, Killian Doyle and Pauline Hochter joining us then. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for this week on the programme. Remember, if you've had any, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, email the bottom line at Casey Law. And you can catch up and listen back to any of the shows on podcast. Check out our website or just search the bottom line on Casey Law on the Apple Store, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks to all our guests this week Samantha McCochran, Alan Siri, Joe Brown, Pauline Hochter and Killian Doyle. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced the show and thank you most of all for listening. Stay tuned to Ed, for Edward Hayden who's just up after the news and there'll be lots more of great programming on Casey Law over the weekend and through the week. Don't forget that great hairy baby competition with John Walsh next week. Stay safe, hold firm during these difficult days, keep your distance but do keep in touch with us and stay in touch by listening to Casey Law or logging on to our website or any of our social media platforms. That's it from me for this week. Until next week, look after yourself, have a good weekend and enjoy the week. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.